Welcome to The Morning Glory Project, Stories of Determination, Extra Blooms Edition. These Extra Blooms episodes are revisits of our past guest. My co-producer, Angela Washington, and I very often find ourselves sharing updates with each other. Oh gosh, did you see what that guest was up to? Did you see what they did? Did you see that? Did you see that? And we figured that if we get excited seeing what new things they're accomplishing, that you might too. So these Extra Blooms editions are that, a little extra where we revisit with a past guest to see what else has gone on since last we spoke. Maybe they've got a new passion project, a new idea, a new book, a new accomplishment, and we like to share that. So feel free to go to themorningglorieproject.com to listen to any previously aired episode. And we love it if you write a comment, share it out, give us a review, and let others know. Of course, you can always subscribe to The Morning Glory Project across all of the podcasting platforms. That way you just never miss an episode. So welcome to the Morning Glory Project. I'm glad you're here today, and I know that you'll love hearing from our Extra Bloom guest. It is my honor today to welcome to the Morning Glory Project, to welcome back to the Morning Glory Project, uh, Lucinda Jackson. Dr. Jackson is the author, and what she spoke about on our last episode was her memoir, Just a Girl, Growing Up Female and Ambitious. And it was about her career as a woman in a largely male-dominated field. And it was super great insights in that. And now she's written a new book called Project Escape, Lessons for an Unscripted Life. So welcome to the Morning Glory Project, Lucinda. Your accomplishments are many, and so I want to just say a couple of them here, and that you're, this is really about your story coming to fruition, coming your, your career-wise, coming to a new level or a new stage in, in its development. And the transition from kind of being a hard-hitting career woman into a stage of retirement or semi-retirement was a bump in your road. You have founded LJ Ventures, where she speaks and consults on energy and the environment and empowering women in the workplace. So wonderful. Thank you so much for coming back to the Morning Glory Project, and I'm glad to be able to catch up with you again. Thanks, Betsy. It's wonderful to be here and to see you. Tell our listeners, what made you write this? And and tell me what the gist of it is about. Well, um, as you mentioned, my first book was a lot about my career and, and struggling through it as a scientist in a man-dominated world. And then when I got to the end of my career, um, I think I thought like a lot of people, yay, it's retirement. And uh, I didn't know really what it was going to be like. And what I found was that um, adolescence and middle-aged crisis years are nothing compared to the challenge that I faced in going into retirement. And so I wanted to write this book to share my experiences and especially for women, because as I'd done research about retirement, I'd found that there's a lot of studies about men that said that they, um, when they retire, uh, they go through identity crisis, and a lot of them have a hard time. And there's a lot of psycho- psycho- psychological studies about suicide and depression that men um, face because they lose their identity. And in those studies, they they vaguely mention that women don't have these same problems because we're not as attached to our careers, and most of our careers have been sort of like part time jobs, which is a giant assumption about women and their relationship to their work. 
but what they have, I haven't seen is any new studies because it's really been in the last few decades that women were allowed to have full-time careers. I mean, before that, I mean, certainly my mother didn't have a career and few of the people I know, their mothers didn't have careers, but we're of the generation or I'm of the generation, uh, kind of the first wave of women coming into retirement out of full-time careers where we did have our egos involved in it. And your identity. And our identity. Yeah. And we didn't just um, slip into retirement. The, the assumption has always been that women have home and hearth, so they're more easily adapted to not working because mm -hmm. they never worked that much anyway. And uh, my th premise is that's a false assumption. Right. At least for this generation. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, and there are, there's a whole lot of us out there now, especially all the, our baby boomers are retiring and there's a whole lot of us um, and men too, that would like to have a different type of retirement than the traditional idea of somebody, you know, moving to Florida and playing pickleball. I mean, that's not <laughs> what most people want to do anymore. So I wrote this book to share my own experiences and, and um, I think I write pretty um, candidly about, uh, you know, no holes barred on what happened to me. And it wasn't pretty. <laughs> and I'd like to help other people. Well, so so tell me, tell me about the wasn't pretty, because I, I think that one of the biggest takeaways for me from this story is that sometimes the thing that you're anticipating as being a great thing like, oh, whoop-de-doo, I won't have to punch a clock anymore. I won't have to, the obligations to a boss, I won't have that. You're looking at, at you know, what you want to be rid of and that it's going to be, you kind of, dare I say, maybe idealize how great that's going to be to be without that. And then it seems like it was a pretty big surprise to you how much you were missing from that experience. And not that you wanted the same job back, but that there were things that you lost that you didn't anticipate that you were going to lose. Does that feel true? Absolutely. So um, there's phases of retirement and there's a planning phase and um, where you're excited about what you're going to be doing, you know, and then there's a, um, you get the farewell parties and stuff like that. And then, then you, most people go into this euphoric stage, which I certainly did. You're like, I'm free, I'm free, no more meetings, no, 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 this, no more commute. And, and then what I didn't know was there's this crash phase and, and I went into this crash phase that I absolutely did not anticipate. And that's where, as you asked, the, the struggle began. I was having um, kind of like, you know, mini breakdowns of minor things happening. And then I'd cry and, and if somebody even slightly insulted me, I was like overreacting. Which is not like you. No, it was not like me at all. And I didn't know what was happening to me. And what I finally figured out was that um, I had lost my identity and my ego. You know, I had an ego that I hadn't really recognized was there. I'd lost my purpose. And I... Um, you know, I thought I had it planned out really well. I guess, you know, in the in the story, I um, leave my, you know, decade-long corporate career. And just in a matter of days later, I'm landing in the country of Palau to volunteer as a Peace Corps um, person. And that's where I'd like to pause for a second, because that would sound, to somebody listening in or looking in, they would think, 
well, wow, that's planning something really meaningful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's not like you were going to sit at home and watch daytime TV. It's not like you went from, you know, 60 to zero is the point. Right. And so, and still there was this, this transition that you didn't expect. And, and, and also I think particularly for somebody like you in, in your first story, what became clear in the reading of that book and in the, in talking with you about it is that you had to fight really hard for your recognition for the place that you got. And it meant a great deal. Your, your work meant a great deal, what you accomplished and also how you were seen in that role mattered to you and, and blazing a trail for women in that, in, in a field that wasn't necessarily so welcoming of that. So it seemed like here you'd fought so hard for this thing. And, and I'm wondering if you sort of thought, well, I did it. It's packaged to go. I just take that with me. Uh, or I mean, not that you necessarily consciously thought about that, but then you seem to be surprised that, that those elements of pride and recognition and accomplishment and feeling, you know, self-esteem about that, 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 that got lost for you. So then you're in the Peace Corps in Palau, <laughs> which is not what everybody plans for retirement. So you're, you're a doer and you're I'm an adventuresome doer. person. So why then the crash? Because it seems like you would, would be, that would be a natural transition. You would transfer all of this go-getter, adventuresome, naturalist person that you are, and you would just transition. It seems like it would be a smoother one. Why was it so bumpy? Because I took my old self with me. And what what I've really discovered is that to have a successful retirement, you need to relook at who you are. And what I've seen, um, I counsel a lot of people now about this in retirement, and and that's that's why my book is called um, Lessons for an Unscripted Life, is that people take the same scripts with them that they had during their working career and try to apply them to their retirement. And it often doesn't work. What do you mean by that, by take the same scripts? Well, like for myself, I, I, it's kind of like you said, I had the package. I thought it was all done. I did this, this, and I got to this volunteer job in Palau and I tried to apply my corporate self to this new experience. You know, I was organized. I spoke clearly. I, um, looked for respect. I was used to being a leader. And I found that that's not what they were looking for. <laughs> they were looking for worker bees, right? Worker bees. And my old scripts, like things I used to um, um, calm myself, like swimming, um, yoga classes. I mean, none of that was available to me anymore. Mm-hmm. So I had these old scripts as I call them of, you know, the way I worked and the way I relaxed. And I, when they weren't available to me, I kind of fell into this state of what's this. And, and I always thought I was a person that was very adaptable and, um, you know, worldly. I've traveled a lot. I've lived a lot of different places. I've moved around and, and yet I found myself, um, constantly crying and (laughs) upset and it, it was really later when I realized I was in the throes of this crash stage in retirement mm-hmm. of letting go of like who I was and transitioning into 
a new self. And, and I just want to say to anybody listening that it's a fantastic thing. And letting go of your old self is so freeing and has allowed me to, uh, I'm having the best time I've ever had. (laughs) Well, and that's the end of the story though. You didn't start there. (laughs) No. So tell me, in in addition to, so, so when you, you talk about sort of feeling weepy and sensitive and, and sort of fish out of water ish, Mm -hmm. but it sounds like it was, it was more than that. It it wasn't just like a week or two of feeling a little unsettled. It, it was, it was an extended sort of, I mean, it sounds like such a cliche word, but an identity crisis, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who am I and what am I here for? And what's the meaning of life? And I don't know who I am anymore. Yes. Does that sound that that's what I got from your pages? Did I get, did I grab it right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I found I, what I found is that a lot of people that happens to them and it's not something that everybody talks about too much. And, and it's often um, retirement's often focused around that. I mean, the question you get most is like, what are you going to do? And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to travel. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to, and you get, you get into the, and for me, it was like, I'm going to join the Peace Corps. So I had something definitive. I could tell people that I was going to do and that's kind of how our society is set up. Like, what do you do? And you get that your whole life. And, well, I do this. And your identity is very caught up in what you do, right? And so what I've learned is to switch that around and not what you do, but what are your core values? And that's what I worked on so hard during the Peace Corps and after the Peace Corps. And um, that period where I was in this identity crisis so let's talk about the difference between that. The difference in what will I do mm-hmm. versus what are my core values? It sounds like it's the difference between external and internal in a way. And mm-hmm. what, you know, decades ago John Bradshaw wrote, you know, that we're at risk of vulnerability when we are humans doing instead of humans being, right? Mm-hmm. Human doings instead of human beings. Mm-hmm. It sounds a little bit like that was sort of the crisis for you. Is is it it was you were seeing it as an external thing, like about tasks and activities as opposed to what's important to me. Right. And when, and you get yourself really stuck when you just look at what you're going to do, because then you think it's a solution, right? Like for me, I thought, well, I'm going to do the Peace Corps. So that was my solution to my retirement. And and, and, and then if it doesn't work out, which a lot of first attempts in retirement do not work out, um, then where are you? But if you think about it in terms of a core value, you go, okay, that, that thing didn't work. But I have a lot of other things that satisfy that same core value. So give me an example of, of a core value that you discovered or clarified that helped to kind of dig you out of this. Um. Well, one for me is like authentic self. And Hmm. I um, spent a lot of years in the corporate world, as you mentioned in my first book, um, as a a lone woman in a world full of men. And I sort of lost my authentic self. I found myself much more aggressive. I mean, you kind of have to be, but, you know, I learned how to be aggressive. I learned how to interrupt. I learned how to get the floor. (laughs) I learned all that stuff. And a lot of that is not my norm. It's not really who I am. I'm actually, you know, a pretty um, sweet person. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I had lost that part of myself. 
Hmm. And so I found that, you know, authentic self is really important to me now. And I use that as a criteria for anything that I do. If I find that I'm in a situation where I'm getting those old feelings about, you know, like, well, I'm going to take charge of this meeting or I'm going to, you know, I got to get this task done. I'm going to, I say, I don't, I don't want to do that. It doesn't bring out the best in me or the, the part of me that I, I love the best. I had to do it then. I don't have to do that now. Instead, I can be my more, like you say, authentic self, but really who I am and who I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a, a quote that I love from um, uh, Lao Tzu, the um, Chinese philosopher that uh, brought Taoism to everybody. And it says, uh, when I let go of what I am, I become what I might be. Hmm. And to me, that's like a, a real um, tip for people going into retirement is letting go of who you are or who you think you are. And then it gives you this opportunity to become who you want to be. And I, I, I see a lot of people stuck with, you know, they say like, hi, my name's John. I used to be a professor at Northwestern, or I used to be a blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And it's, they haven't passed from what they used to be and let go of that to who they are now. And it's much more interesting of who you are now. That's <laughs> well, not even to take John Bradshaw's quote, when it's not even a human doing versus a human being, but it's a human did yeah. <laughs> what I did. <laughs> what so I it's did. a past tense version of that, which is even more diluted mm-hmm. in, a, in a conversation. You know, I, I, I thought a little bit about how this is one of those life transitions. And I remember the stress, like when a kid is, uh, say, a senior in high school and mm-hmm. he's going to go to school. And the, well, what are you going to major in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have to decide. Pressure. <laughs> and, and they don't, and they don't have a, and, and then they may think they're going to major, they're going to go to pre-law and then they get it and they hate every class. They just hate that, but they don't feel like they can go and say, well, I'm not pre-law anymore. I'm there's this identity crisis thing that happens in lots of transitions or people idealize what's going to be a marriage is going to be like, or they have a fantasy about what kind of parent they're going to be. And then the little guy is born and he's colicky and you're impatient and all those things. So it seems like in one way, it's yet another transition that we anticipate wrongly in a way. But in this one, also, there's there are some particular traps, I think, too, because mm-hmm. first of all, mm-hmm. it's later in life. And also, you talk about the, the phenomenon of marriage, because you were with your partner in the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. and your husband, yes. Yeah. And you know, there's that concept of the gray divorce. Can you talk a little bit about that and and what often happens in that case? Yeah, it was one thing I was terrified of because um, we'd been married 30 years and I read all these studies about a mature divorce, gray divorce, or some statistics like 50% of people over 65 get divorced. And I've certainly seen it amongst my friends. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, I could see that happening. My husband and I had led kind of... um, you know, we were great partners. We raised kids together. We had, you know, we both had big careers. We we balanced well, you know, we pitch hitted for each other, but we kind of started to leave sort of parallel lives. Mm-hmm. And, and there's that question that when you go into retirement, okay, now, you know, here you are, you've, you've been gone all day and now you're home all day <laughs> together. And what's that going to be like? And so um, I didn't really know we hadn't been all that close 
and um, what what I found was, you know, like my book is also a love story. I mean, it's mm. it's about finding our romance again. And I didn't know that 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 then turned into a core value for me, which is still a core value. And I didn't know that that was something I was going to be spending time on in my retirement. Well, I, I would imagine that your fantasy was more like, well, we'll do this. How you know we've had a successful marriage by lots of people's measures, and we'll do that same thing in retirement. But in retirement, you mm-hmm. didn't have the parallel existence. You had a shared existence. Mm-hmm. Right, very shared. And we didn't have our. I mean, he also had his ego and his identity and his job, and he also let go of that at the same time. So we were both hadn't really recognized that that was happening to us. And, you know, unfortunately for us, but it, I'm, I'm going to be honest, this stuff is not easy. Like to re-script yourself, it is not easy. And a lot of people don't want to do it, but I'm, I'm here to tell you <laughs> that it's worth the work. Well, so it's not easy. It's not easy to change your view of yourself in general. That's always true. But can I can I ask you then, how did you, was there a moment that you went, wait a minute, I have got to look at this really differently? Like, what was that crisis moment? And what, what did you start to do that changed things for you? Probably the big crisis moment was when I had decided that I wanted to leave the Peace Corps and go back to my old life. And Craig, who had been willingly come with me to this, then told me he wouldn't, he wouldn't go. Hmm. And I was super mad and like said, well, you need to come with me and this kind of stuff. And if you, if you don't want to come, I'm going by myself. And I, I kind of reached out to my children, actually. I said, I think I'm coming home and dad's staying here. And they texted me back and said, what kind of a marriage is that? the wisdom of children <laughs> and adult children, mind you, but. adult, very adult children. Yeah. And I said, I felt like, Oh yeah. And I kind of came to a realization. I'm, I remember I went out for a run and tripped or something and sat down on the sidewalk, started to cry again and, and said, okay, um, this obviously isn't working out, but I'm not alone in this. And I need to find, I, I Craig, my husband has his own, you know, his own identity, his own ego, and we need to work this out together. And I went back to the crappy apartment we lived in and uh, said, um, you know, let's try to work, work something out. And it completely changed our conversation, our relationship. And we both just started working on how to help each other through this and being our own, our best friend, you know, being each other's best friends. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, the book takes place about five years ago and we've been able to keep that going the last five years and we revisit it all the time. And and again, it, it takes some work and it takes vulnerability and, you know, we have to really go, okay, we, we developed a couple of phrases to use, um, when we're having a rough time, like we say, um, 
you know, you, you just done something kind of bitchy or something. And then I say, and I'm all yours. <laughs> and then we laugh <laughs> and, and hug each other. Well, so humor became an important part. Humor, romance, understanding, communication. So that was about you as a couple. Now, some people might be retiring as single people, of course, mm -hmm. or they might be going into a semi-retirement because either they don't have the means to fully retire, or maybe one person's retiring and the other person's not for a while, or there's all kinds of different variables here. And, and some might look at your circumstances and say, well, you know, well, lucky you, you know, you both got to retire and you got to, you know, travel the world and you have the means and all of that. And th those things are true. They're, they may be enviable in those ways, but the internal transition is still profound. Yeah. And I, I kind of, I, I, I have addressed that recently because um, I've I actually just gave a talk called "Lower Lower Budget Adventures in Your Next Act," mm. and and what I found is that if you for me like really looking at my core values and not looking at what I'm going to do, you find things that are really inexpensive. I mean, it's it's sort of like the the big fancy trips, buying a boat. I mean, that kind of stuff is not the core of life. And if you really look at like your core value is um, like, let me give you a good example. Somebody saying they, they're, they're what they really want to do in retirement is they want to um, take their whole family to the Galapagos at a great family trip. It's going to be, that's what they're planning. It's going to be so great. You know, this is their main thing they're going to do. And then, but if you, but if you, if you ratchet it down and say, well, that could be a fiasco. It might not work out. People might not want to go. Not everybody can go. It's a one-shot deal. What are you going to do when you come home? Which is the problem with, I'm going to travel in retirement. Or what if you can't travel? What if you get sick? Um, so if you if you ratchet down, and what, what I do, I use this five why thing, like why do you want to travel? Why do you want to take the family to Galapagos? And if you keep asking why, you can, you can get down to a core value like, well, I, I want to be with my family. I want to connect mm -hmm. with my family. So family is really the core value. And if you look at, at that, there's a lot of way less expensive ways to satisfy that than taking everybody to the Galapagos. Right. Well, not only way less expensive, but perhaps way less loaded with expectations. Yes. And yes. Cause you're not in retirement alone. Usually there's other people that like your kids or, or your friends. I mean, you can't assume everybody's going to want to be with you or you, so you have to look at like, like a thing like family. Like I've seen people do things, studying their ancestry gave them a very close connection with, with family. Another woman I know she had, um, you know, instead of taking her dad on a trip, what he really wanted to do was to have her come um, to his senior bowling night every Tuesday, $5. <laughs> That's right. what he wanted. He didn't want a trip to the Galapagos and, Another woman just calls her, you know, just calls her mom every day and talks for 20 minutes because that's what her 99-year-old mom really wants. Those mm -hmm. things do not cost a lot of money. So I, I totally understand that. And I feel like that's sort of my pitch is that I found getting to my core values, I'm really not spending any money. And it's not any, any privilege that people have about, you know, fancy stuff or buying new things. Those are Those really are not that satisfying uh, unless they are unless they are for some folks some right folks, I mean, some, maybe some folks they want to do the sailing trip around the world or whatever yeah, it is true, and, and that's true. bully for them but there's an all these alternatives <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely it also strikes me that some people may have 
an idealized notion of something that not isn't necessarily expensive. Like I'm thinking of someone that I know who she says, well, I'm going to retire and, you know, my, my daughter's having a baby and I'm going to be the Nana and I'm going to take care of the baby three days a week and all of that. And then she gets into doing that and she loves her grandchild. She loves her daughter. There's nothing wrong with that, but she discovers she really doesn't want to be a new mom again. <laughs> and she doesn't know how to get out of it because now her daughter's depending on her and they've built this in as part of the system. And she feels all cruddy about it because she feels like she's disappointing people. But she's had, she's had this kind of mega powerful career where she got all kinds of self-esteem and now she's doing diapers and wiping noses and, and nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to be doing. But she realizes she doesn't really want to be doing that. <laughs> and so, you know, we can all even if you aim for a not expensive thing, it could prove not to be the thing that you have in your mind. Yeah. I've been that, joking with some of my friends about writing a book called the grandma myth, because uh, a lot of people, grandpas too, um, they say that that's what we're going to do retirement, spend time with the grandkids. And what, what the reality is, is that the, the kids may move away and take those grandkids with them because people's, you know, kids' jobs are like all over the place now with remote stuff and, mm. and, uh, or they may not want you to be there all the time. Like you planned to be, they might not like your parenting style. There's a whole lot of danger in doing that. And, and, right. and then again, you're, you're putting your retirement around somebody else rather than what you can do for yourself. Right. See what I mean? Which is not to say that for another person, that might be exactly what makes their heart sing. And and, and if it works out, I mean, I, I've seen people right. that, you know, they think that's going to make their heart sing like your friend and then it doesn't work out. And then there's a lot of disappointment or confusion. That's why I use this thing called an alternative analysis table <laughs> for my corporate days. So here you are, you are taking some of what you learned yeah. oh, and yeah. applying it to this. <laughs> tell, tell me about this though. Well, you, you put your core values, once you've figured out what they are, your core values down the left side. And then at the top, you put um, all the alternatives to how you could satisfy that. So you think big and think creatively. Um, so if one thing doesn't work out, like I'm going to babysit the kids, you don't just feel lost. Like you can, you can, okay, I tried that. You can cross that off the list. But you also have like eight other things there that you feel like could satisfy that need for love or, or connection or whatever it is, you know, that you just, you define it as. And I, I found that as a, I've even got a five-year plan based on that. Cause I've got all these things that I you know still want to try and do. And it's not a, that, that's that I feel satisfied my core values. Well, you and I, you and I are very different people, Lucinda. You're, uh, you're a camper, hiker, climber, adventuresome in those ways. And I'm maybe a little more bookish and couch potato-y than you would admire. And still, I think that we share a core value. I want to be learning all the time. I'm a, I want to keep in, in, in my, I'm not retired, but in, in my anticipated retirement, I think I want to be always learning. I want to be always expanding my horizons. I have curiosity and I want to be yeah. settling that. And I want to have deep connections with people. I know, I don't know. I don't necessarily need huge crowds, but I know that I want deep and meaningful connections with people. So whatever it is that I mm -hmm. end up doing, I also want solitude. I need a fair amount of that. So I know those things about myself. And while I'm not retired now, I know that 
whatever, I, I don't know that I'll ever fully, fully retire because I'm always interested, even what I'm doing here with the Morning Glory Project is sort of something I could continue to do. Right. And it satisfies some of that connection and curiosity and all of those things. So it kind of really, it, it seems like it really comes down to knowing yourself. It comes yeah. down to getting yeah. really quiet and not only knowing yourself, but really being honest with yourself about what has meaning for you. That's the hard work that that I'm talking about. I mean, that, that it, it's kind of painful mm-hmm. when you have to really say, okay, you know, who am I and what's important to me? And that's the kind of work that, that I did that and it was both like disrobing old identity. You have to get rid of some of the old identity stuff that you kind of had been doing, but maybe wasn't you figure out if that's real or not. And then, like one of the core values I figured out was being valued. And it was hard for me to admit that, that I, I want to be valued. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I felt silly or something. Well, like that, like that makes you insecure or petty yeah, or something. Like insecure. And I go, okay, I, I kind of am. <laughs> or the, isn't it kind of normal and human to need recognition and validation from people that matter to you? And admitting that and, mm-hmm. and um, what you said about creativity, that's just a wonderful um um, core value and mine's wrapped up in adventure and, and freedom. That's my mm-hmm. creativity side of always wanting to learn new things. And it, it could be adventure not, doesn't have to be adventure like climbing or mountain biking or something. It could be adventure in books or adventure, you know, so many ways that we all find it. And, but that's the, that's the hard work is revealing your true self, which can be really tough. And, and it was, it was painful for me to, to realize I wasn't as tough as I thought I was. And well, and also to discover your vulnerability mm-hmm. in a new mm-hmm. environment, your book project escape lessons for an unscripted life has all kinds of, first of all, it's, it's a personal story. And I think it's one that even somebody very, even though I am different than you in the execution of my life, I could find nuggets in there that I know to be applicable and I could think through and observe in friends and observe in myself. So it's a, it's a book that I would really suggest for folks as they maybe read it a year or so before you retire (laughs) so that you don't have to have the crash and burn. So Lucinda Jackson, thank you so much for being part of the Morning Glory Project and visiting us again. And I wish you every success in this book. And I know that in the work that you do with others, that you're helping them through a, a deep and meaningful transition so that the autumn of their life, the winter of their life can be a satisfying experience for them and, and a meaningful one. So thank you for that. Thank you, Betsy. And, and um, good luck to everybody in this fabulous part of life. It's really a, a great opportunity to take some risks and really get to know yourself. As I think about my conversation with Lucinda Jackson, about the notion of retirement and, and the changes that take place in that. And the, the, really what we're talking about here is transitions and milestones in our lives. And when we think about the milestones that we go through, whether it's from childhood to adolescence and adolescence to college or, or early career or career to family, if that's the choice that one makes or family to unfamily if there's a divorce or a separation. 
and certainly retirement, it seems like what's important to know in all of those transitions and in varying levels, because of course children are different than adults, this notion of tuning in to yourself, knowing yourself, being honest with yourself about who you are, what you want, what you value, what you don't want, what you don't want to do, what really gives you satisfaction and brings meaning for you. And to look at that without judgment of yourself. You know, if you if you want to spend time with your grandkids and babysit them and that gives you meaning, yay, nothing wrong with that. But if you don't, if you say, you know, I, I love my grandchildren, I want to visit them and I want to then hand them back to their mom and dad because I've done the parenting thing. I don't want to do that anymore. That's reasonable too. And that you can, if you can look at those things in yourself without judgment, it can make the transitions a lot easier. And not only that, it doesn't just make the transitions easier. It makes everyday life a lot easier. How many of us, what's the expression? We should all over ourselves. <laughs> we should feel like joining the Peace Card is the thing that would give us meaning. We should feel like babysitting the grandchildren is the thing that would give us meaning. As opposed to, you know, rather than looking at what is what we should be doing, how about what is real? That's my extra bloom on this extra bloom exercise. It's about being honest with ourselves and being maybe a little less judgmental, a little more candid, and getting down under what we're doing into what we really deeply value. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Morning Glory Project. I'm honored that you would give us this time. I hope that wherever you are, whatever stage or age you're in, that you are finding your way to bloom. <laughs>